0: Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Meki Lozano. So if you are listening to this episode on the day it comes out, it is right before Christmas, and we hope that this episode will help you prepare your heart to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And if you are listening to this episode during the Christmas season, our hope is that this episode helps you live into the season just a little bit more. And if you are listening to this episode after the Christmas season, We have learned from the children that pondering this beautiful mystery of the Incarnation is not limited to the seasons of Advent or Christmas. So our hope for you is that this conversation will bless you on your journey of pondering the mystery of the Incarnation as well. I hope you enjoy. Karen, welcome back to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. We are really excited to have you back with us again today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be able to be with you again. Well, for anybody who didn't hear your first episode with us, I think it was like June where we talked about formation and the walk to Emmaus. For anybody who didn't get to listen to that episode, would you tell us a little bit about who you are and your work with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd?
1: Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. You know, Carrie, I've been um, a catechist in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd for 30 years now. That seems kind of a strange thing for me to even say that. It's like blink my eyes and <laughs> it's gone. But I began in this work because of wanting to do something meaningful with my children in our church. And um, I had at that time two young children, um, actually a four-year-old and a baby at the time, and uh, really seeking to, to find a place in my, um, in my church. Ended up coming across this new thing that our director of religious education had heard about called Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Training wasn't that easily available, so it meant traveling a couple of states away to receive the formation. So that was a big deal. Um, So, but ultimately we worked it out and um, I began on this journey that has been just incredible and life changing for not only the work that I wanted to do with children and with my own children, but but just my own interior journey. And since then, I've um, grown as a catechist. Um, I began training others as a formation leader. And now um, for the last 16 years or so, I have worked as director of formation for the National Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, uh, a work that I've really enjoyed serving. But I have served children at all levels. And I currently work with children who are nine to 12 year olds, and also six and seven year olds, even a little bit with our three to six year olds.
0: Well, so today, we will be talking about the incarnation. This episode will be coming out on December twenty third, right before Christmas. This is the beginning of us pondering this beautiful season and, and this time where we reflect on Jesus's birth, and also this mystery of what is the incarnation. Karen, would you speak into a little bit about that word incarnation, what does incarnation mean?
1: Yes, uh, you know, it is interesting because we go through this time of preparation and it's such a busy, intense time for in so many ways mm-hmm. um, for, you know, it, it is Advent, but we also have all these other things that are happening in our lives and mm-hmm. we're trying to prepare our mm-hmm. homes and we're preparing um, to be with most of the time we're preparing to be with family and getting gifts together and our children and all that kind of thing. And, um, and now at the time that this will air, we will also be just about ready to celebrate Christmas and then it'll feel like it's all over. But in fact, it doesn't, it's Mm -hmm. not, we really have time to allow for that celebration to continue with us. But how do we really embrace all of that? And, um, how do we prepare our children for Jesus's birth in, in the midst of so much anticipation that they have about all the gifts that they might receive at Christmas? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's even during the, the time of celebration of Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas that follow Christmas day, from Christmas day to epiphany, that we really have the opportunity to live the, with joy the meaning of what it means when we celebrate Jesus's birth. Incarnation, mm-hmm. though, is difficult for us to grasp. It is a mystery. You know, how is it that God becomes truly human, and human, a human, could be truly God? So I just want to read that a uh, little bit of the excerpt from uh, the Annunciation to Mary. The angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold." And the angel said to her in reply, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, Son of God. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. We can ask, as Mary asked Gabriel, but perhaps for different reasons, how can this be? The mystery of the incarnation is central to our Christian doctrine. God took on human flesh and became man, Jesus, who is Christ. Messiah, the Son of God. God and humans become one. We can recall that at the beginning of salvation history, something went wrong in the relationship between God and humans, as we remember in Genesis the Fall. Two paths developed in history until one path reached the other and merged back into the one in the person of Christ. What happened in that moment with Christ? The invisible God becomes visible. When people encountered Jesus in the street in Nazareth, they said, he is the son of the carpenter. And we also know, though, that St. Peter recognized Jesus as the Christ. He said, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Peter had been able to see through the man to the reality of christ in jesus one reality the man jesus did not cancel out the other reality his divinity son of god isn't that amazing just to think about that just mm-hmm. let that sink in both realities are true in him it's difficult to grasp it's awesome to grasp how can god really also be a man and how can a man be also god the, the sophia says this, sophia cavaletti says this the supra sensible becomes tangible even today the relationship we ha- now have with god with through liturgy has all of the characteristics of the incarnation of jesus
0: It's always amazed me that idea of God becoming man, fully divine and fully man. And to me, it really makes him more accessible. And it makes him relatable in so many ways and tangible. And God knew that that is exactly what we needed. We needed relatable. We needed something tangible Just like what you said in the liturgy, it has all those characteristics of tangibility that God gives us, and it's so important, and God knew that that was important to us as humans.
1: In thinking thinking about it, in baptism, in the liturgy of the baptism, for example, we need water, and in order to have Mm -hmm. Eucharist, we need bread and wine. Water and bread and wine are tangible and visible, and they are necessary for Mm -hmm. our relationship with God. The incarnation means that the eternal God accepted to be limited in human life. And Jesus lives this human life for 33 years. That's all before his death. And certainly that's very short in comparison with the eternity of God. But the eternal God becomes small in some way. Sophia Cavaletti said that the incarnation is really the poverty of God. Have we ever thought about it that way? That the incarnation mm-hmm. is really the poverty that. of God. Yeah, I do too. God who's the richest becomes poor as a human being. I just think that that's incredible. It's incredible contrast. Don't you think?
0: Yeah, I agree. I really like that. It's so humble and it's such a beautiful, humbling example for us that, that God of the universe that has created everything has humbled himself to be put into a human, mortal body. And then again, it, it makes me think more about the Eucharist, where God has humbled himself even more, where he is present in this bread.
1: Yeah. It's something for us just to keep thinking about and appreciating because it is happening with us. It's so deep and great. And yet it's, mm-hmm. it reminds us of that humility. You know, another way to look at incarnation is to see that not only God is coming into the human world, but that also humans are coming into God's world. Mm. I really like thinking about that after the resurrection. And since then, there is a man who lives into the mystery of the inner Trinitarian life the inner hmm. Trinitarian life, a man who has been admitted into the family of God. And this is something quite new. Humanity through Jesus is invited into the mysterious life of God. I like that. The whole, mm-hmm. um, the sense that we are not only invited, but God so seeks to have uh, give us this fullness of His life, from the beginning we saw that He so wants us to fill, be filled with that love and that life, that now He gives us Jesus to help us understand what He means by that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just the ultimate love. It's His way of showing us how much and how deep He loves us.
1: Yeah. So we can say that this whole history of salvation, since the beginning, is incarnation with a small I. Because in this whole history, God is mingling and and among creation and people, preparing for this development of this history, the history of the kingdom of God, for it to continue. Then we come to this moment in which incarnation becomes incarnation with a capital I. And it is not only a history of one people and God working through this one people, but it is also God becoming human in this one person, Jesus Christ. And, you know, Carrie, it extends the invitation to all people to be collaborators with God in bringing about this fullness of life that he calls us to have. Mm-hmm. The method that God uses in approaching humans has always been the same. It is a mixture of matter and spirit of the visible and the invisible of the tangible and the transcendent. And we see this continue with us in the liturgy as well. So we have to remember Mm -hmm. that incarnation, when we talk about incarnation, is not just an event of the past. It's not just saying, oh, well, that's something that happened. 2,000 years ago, now 2020 years ago, it is always present in this world. How does God make himself known? How does God give himself to human beings? It's always through a mysterious mixture of spirit and matter.
0: It's just really this beautiful idea that you're speaking into of the incarnation of God becoming man but also our participation in it, of us being called into who God is. And it reminds me of a moment in my life when I was working with some teenagers, and this one teenage girl had this beautiful aha moment where she realized that that moment when the Eucharist is being presented to her during Mass, when they say, this is the body of Christ, they were saying what they were holding, but that they were also saying, that she is the body of Christ. And it's beautiful like what you're talking about of the incarnation and God becoming a man, but also we are being called into who God is. And it's that beautiful love language that's happening and man, that's that's beautiful. That's that's huge. That's what Christmas is about.
1: Yeah, it is huge. And in a way it feels like words are um make it hard. It contains it too tightly. We have to involve ourselves in the sense of we understand it in an intuitive way. We understand it in a prayerful mm-hmm. way. It, it comes together for us. And it's more than what our words can describe. I think it's, it's, it's kind of like yeah. when we see something awesome in, um, a, there's so much more there. So even when you're describing that situation with this girl, it feels to me like she called, almost not put into words all that that meant for her at that moment. That's
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: what we hope for all of us to have. You know, both John Gobi and Sophia Cavalletti write about this, and they kind of come at it in in different ways. And I I wanted to share um, a quote from each one of them about it, because I think it helps us understand better our own relationship with God in light of this mystery of incarnation. John Gobi wrote, our relationship with God is largely built through concrete sensory experience. This is a deep, vital need of the human being. And God honors this need by communicating with us through what is perceivable through creation, through events in salvation history, through the person of the Son, through the Word and God's continued presence in the sacraments. The concrete, perceivable material is always involved in God's self-communication to us. You know, Carrie, when I hear those words, you know what it reminds me of? I guess in light of Mm. this time, this season we're in, I think about, um, and his name will be Emmanuel. God will be Mm. with us. God with us. Mm. Sophia writes, Along this line, which is a lot what we've been um, touching upon, she says, we can say that the history of salvation is a progressive incarnation, a progressive incarnation of God in human history, by which God makes himself known in the perceivable. Through the events of sacred history, the face of God is being revealed more clearly. Thus. We can say that God is being incarnated in history, little by little, in a manner that allows us to perceive him. If we accept this manner of speaking, then we will also understand that the principal event in the history of salvation is the incarnation in Jesus Christ. Progressive incarnation prepared the way And even somehow made it inevitable that God would be manifest so completely, though still through the perceivable and the concrete, namely through the flesh of the Son.
0: I love that. That theology that Sophia Cavalletti talks about, about the progressive incarnation is something that I had not encountered before my formation with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And this whole idea of God revealing himself from the beginning of time with creation and Noah and Abraham throughout salvation history, and then climaxing with Jesus. And this whole idea that God is slowly revealing who he is more and more, this beautiful progressive incarnation, God entering into the world, becoming man, becoming more and more visible, and it's beautiful because it's like that golden thread, like what we talk about in level three, where God is connected with all these events. They're not isolated events. And God is slowly revealing himself more and more. He's giving more and more secrets about who he is. And it really just kind of also makes you really look forward to parousia when he will be all in all.
1: Yeah. I agree. You know, what I liked about that, too, is that it's little by little in a manner that allows us mm-hmm. to perceive him. It's almost like, OK, we're not quite ready for this part yet. <laughs> it's kind of like what we do with even children. We know it was. Yes, you can, but not quite yet. You need to do this first. Mm-hmm. You Will know, we'll, it's in God's time and it's also in God's sense of what we are ready to do and receive. But I love the idea. I mm-hmm. love the, the, the thinking about progressive incarnation. And that's why each time we celebrate, each year we celebrate this season, these the seasons of Advent and Christmas, we get to be able to think about that even more deeply each time. But every time we go to mass, mm-hmm. we celebrate the Eucharist. We are part of that progressive incarnation each and every time.
0: Yeah. And I think that also this time of year, especially, but anytime, it is a beautiful time to maybe look at that progressive incarnation in our own lives, like maybe how God has been slowly revealing who he is, and who we are in his eyes, slowly throughout our life. And I think salvation history is kind of like the big picture of God revealing himself, but I think that we can also look at our own personal salvation history of my own personal life and how God has had a progressive incarnation in our own lives.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that.
0: Well, what about with the children, Karen? How can we speak about this beautiful concept of incarnation with them
1: You know, it is interesting how it is that we we prepare children from the youngest ages, from the time that they're three, we can begin. And all the biblical texts that we offer children, most of which are from the New Testament, especially in level one for the three to six-year-olds. But even Mm -hmm. in level one, we offer them the messianic prophecies from the Old Testament, such as the ones that are found in Isaiah about the great light in Isaiah 9:1a, um, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Or we proclaim the prophecy of the mother in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. Or the names of the Messiah in Isaiah 9:6. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Or even the prophecy of the town, Micah 5.2, or in some translations it's 5.1. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel. And all of those prophecies lay this groundwork with the youngest children. And we reflect on each one over several years, actually. And we continue to reflect with the six, children from the ages of 6 to 12 in the same way. But then also to the infancy narratives especially those found in the Gospel of Luke, such as the Annunciation of Mary, the Visitation of Mary to Elizabeth, the birth of Jesus and the Adoration of the Shepherds, and the Presentation of the Temple. And in Matthew, the Adoration of the Magi, they all stir within us, as well as the children, this question, who is this child? Who is Jesus? Sophia tells us that when we speak with children about these events preceding and including Jesus's birth, that children need our help in order to notice the different elements of these announcements that cause us to wonder about who this child is. But I'd like to just give you a little background about the infancy narratives, if I could, because it helps us understand our own preparation with the children as well. The infancy narratives were written as the last accounts of Jesus. The evangelists writing the Gospels did not begin with Jesus's birth, like we actually see them when we're reading them in the Gospels. But these were written after they had reflected a long time on Jesus's life, his birth, his death, and his resurrection. They subsequently wrote these accounts of Jesus' birth, presenting them as history and theology together. So when we read these narratives today, we hear the event and we also hear the interpretation of the event. They have already reflected deeply on the meaning of the person of Jesus Christ, and they are showing the listeners and readers, us, just how special this child is, and this birth was. So usually, children are already familiar with these events of Jesus's birth. And so they may not have had, though, the opportunity to understand just how great these events in Jesus's life are. The same may be true for us as adults as well. So I was kind of struck by this. Why is it that we may not have embraced this theological depth of these historical events? And we hear them over and over again. And I think it's because they become too familiar and then we don't stop long enough to really ponder them, really think about it. We need to do this prolonged listening to this text to really let the word of God seep in.
0: Yeah, I think that especially the story of the nativity, it's a story we've heard many, many times throughout our lives. But like you said, I don't think that we have given it a good prolonged listening for us to really ponder what is this story telling us about who Jesus is and who is this child. And I think that We also forget about all those other stories that you mentioned, like the Annunciation, the Visitation, the Magi, the Shepherds, the Presentation of Jesus in the Temple. We tend to not focus on those stories as much, but those stories also give us a really beautiful testimony about who Jesus is. And the children are very drawn to those works also. Throughout the whole year, they are asking for us to read to those scriptures or to work with those materials. They are very drawn to these stories, I think, because they are drawn to that essential truth about who Jesus is and that these stories reveal that to them.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also important that we look at not only offering them and talking with children around Advent, but Christmas, but even after Christmas, you know, even Mm -hmm. those times, because sometimes that's maybe even a little bit more peaceful of a time. You know, it's a little quieter. We're not in the kind of this other intensity. But, you know, I also think it's interesting that what we also do with our beginning with our youngest children in the atrium is that we will begin early in Advent, sometimes before, giving them this orientation to who Jesus is by um, connecting where he is, his place, to in geography. So with the map of the land of Israel, that shows at the time of Jesus. And we're identifying these three important cities that are, are, are um, important in Jesus's life. Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And it's this concrete the material that lets us announce the reality that Jesus is a real person who lived in a small country, whose mother received the announcement of his birth in Nazareth. Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem and died in Rose in Jerusalem. And I think by doing that, it's also situating. It does not, it takes us out of this realm of, of a story that just kind of sounds fantastical. Because often we put all those stories, the birth of Jesus and the adoration of the Magi, particularly, those things get compressed like it all happened at the same time. In a child's mind, that can happen. So we're living this place of just giving each part, like the first is this geography, then it's this, the, the prophecies and, and we're thinking about that as, um, as well. And then we get into wondering who this child is by what the infancy narratives said, are telling us. All of these announcements connect us with the reality that God is doing something great for humankind, giving the gift of his son, all and doing so in small and hidden ways humble ways right the contrast of God's mm-hmm. action and the history of salvation with how he is revealed as the son of God is wondrous and it invites us this curiosity to wonder who this child is And this is central to our catechesis and catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Jesus Christ is the person at the center of this method of catechesis. And the scriptural announcements we make with children initiate them into this religious reality. It's giving them this kind of rooted in life experience. I think it's interesting because Sophia writes that the religious Crisis that we are presently living in is certainly a crisis of incarnation, since it is Christ, God made man, who is difficult for many of us to believe. Have you ever thought about it that that way,
0: Carrie? No, no, I haven't.
1: She says this is because over time, catechesis was not an initiation into the religious reality that is rooted in life that is perceptible and since sens- this perceptible and sensorial reality of our life. So we have an opportunity to change this with children. We serve in our catechesis and even more so during this t- time of Advent
0: and Christmas celebration. Mm. I think that this idea of allowing ourselves to have these prolonged listening of these stories of the incarnation is kind of the answer of what Sophia was talking about, about a crisis of truly believing that God became man. And that's very difficult for people to believe. So I think us pondering these beautiful infancy narratives is the antidote to that. Yeah and it's
1: taken it even keep coming back to it that we we spend time with it even mm-hmm. after the celebration or we give our you know that we give time to the children to talk about it that it's not like oh well it's christmas is over with we don't have to talk about that anymore no let's this is this is amazing news we should keep talking about this
0: mhm yeah Yeah, the kids do a very good job of knowing that these stories are not limited to just this season. I've had so many children want to dive into these stories at different times throughout the year, and your initial reaction is to think, oh no, this isn't the right time of year for that. But then that's that beautiful theology of following the child and knowing that the Holy Spirit inside the child is guiding them. And they know that pondering these stories and pondering who Jesus is that's revealed in these stories is something that we should be pondering all year long.
1: Yes. And in addition to that, it helps us recognize that these scriptures have something for us to discover over and over again, that there's always the mm-hmm. joy in that discovery and we're invited into that. So we, that's why we want to keep coming back to them or give time to them or, or um, give a little bit at a time and then just think about what what those words what are the words that the angel said to Mary and all these words that she that the angels said about the names of Jesus those kinds of things because often when we're hearing the stories about um, the infancy narratives or, birth of jesus we're hearing it in terms of these um the words little like everything is like little well it yes it was but at the same time it almost makes it feel like it's diminished somehow the greatness of what was happening and i think what we're hoping to do in our reflections with children whether we are doing this with our own children at home or whether we are doing this as catechist in the atrium We're hoping to continually invite them to recognize the greatness of what these humble stories, actually, the text, offer us. We want to keep in mind when we're giving these kinds of narratives to the children that we're not teaching them a lesson. We're not delivering a lesson. We're not telling a story to them, but we're we're talking about it with them. We're reading it with them. So perhaps we can set up a prayer area in our homes, or we go to the prayer table in our atria, and we have the table set as if we were whatever the season that we're in, whether it's Advent or Christmas, with the liturgically, um, the the, the cloth that's liturgically appropriate, whether it's um, purple or blue or white for the celebration. And we have a a Bible nearby and we sit with the children and, you know, sometimes we do have children who are, are um, needing to move or may not be as there. We're not expecting them to be still, but we're inviting them into listening and we listen and we um, to that text for as long as they feel comfortable that they can do that. And when they're not, when they're finished, they're finished. You know, it's all right. We, We can always come back to that later. But we have to remember three things when we're doing any kind of reading with the scriptures with the children. And then one is that we see that the one teacher is Christ himself. That the word that we are proclaiming is the means by which the child or children have direct contact with the text, with the word of God. And that we are also sharing in that with them there is one teacher in Christ, one teacher who is Christ himself, that the word we present is the means by which the child can have direct contact with the text and that we share in this with them, we share it. So we often don't give a long explanation ahead of time. We just give them a little bit of an orientation. We might explain some words that are not familiar and uh, we might orient them to the geography that we've already had. You might even ask a question, whose birth are we celebrating? But that we are always in this sense of we're in a listening stance with children to the reading of the text and then in the reflecting of the text.
0: I think it's important for us as the adults to remember that God is speaking to us as well whether it's through the text or through the children to remember that we're listening alongside the children and that's something that I found in myself that that I am a completely different adult when I keep that in mind if I have like the teacher hat on or the co-listener hat on I think I have a completely different demeanor with the child that I have when I remember my true place that I'm not the teacher that I'm receiving just as much as the child is. Karen, before we finish, would you be able to share with us any stories or reflections that you have experienced with the children that they have had after encountering this beautiful mystery of the incarnation?
1: I think the part that we, we always want to keep in mind is that when we, when, whenever we have the opportunity to, um, proclaim scriptures with the children, to read with them, to reflect with them, there is still a, yet another, another opportunity that we need to leave open for the children. And that is for their own personal expression. And some of that may Mm -hmm. happen just in their verbal responses. A child may just say some things that are just absolutely profound in their understanding of what they've just heard. Um, Some of it is in their um, desire to even write the prayers or some of the scriptures that we've just read together. For some, they might even want to copy, say, a few of the verses of the Magnificat or from uh, even the angel's Gloria or the um, Simeon's Prayer. But there's also what we've seen is that children tend to want to also express their engagement with the scripture through their art, through their drawings. Sometimes in seeing that we're also noticing that that's how they are are understanding or working through their understanding of the mystery of Christ himself, the person of Jesus. Sophia tells a story and religious potential of the child about a a child named Carlo, who is only six years old. And he says in front of the Nativity, the manger with Jesus, he says, I say to him, alleluia to the mighty God. And it's interesting because in light of these other things that may place that story as meaning small and important and little, here this child is recognizing who Jesus is, the mighty God. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> hmm It is also can be seen like there's a drawing in the religious potential, the child that Sophia has of a whole scene of a stable, and you can see all the different figures of Joseph and Mary and Jesus and the shepherds and everything. But above, instead of an angel, it's this figure of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I had a child in my atrium one year who immediately after seeing the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth, she really wanted to draw Mary and Elizabeth. So she actually took the figures and put them on the table with her and started drawing them. And she has she has Mary in blue and she has Elizabeth in, in green and she has them inside of a house. But interestingly enough, she's also drawn a very large looks like an angel over above them, above, floating above them. And I'm thinking, this is just so curious to me because in the text, there isn't anything about an angel. But what does she identify? What does she notice in that? You now, I even wondered, well, could this be the way that she was drawing the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Another child linked the birth of Jesus to Easter by indicating the scene of the Nativity, the lighted Paschal candle, and also shows our participation in this mystery by also putting the baptismal symbols of the cross and the white garment on this drawing. Children are seen to link this Christmas and Easter in their drawings, and We see that they also use a predominance of yellow, and that's always the sign of joy. Even having Jesus on the cross, but all colored in yellow and everything showing he is alive. Hallelujah. And other children can link in their drawings the birth of Jesus with the Eucharist. One child is also in the religious potential. The child has Jesus as if he's laying on the altar, with two candles on either side of him. It's interesting to see that children will take the stories of the text of the infancy narrative, and they'll unite the birth of Jesus or the baby Jesus with the good shepherd, and they'll have an image of the good shepherd there. So they're contemplating this mystery of who Jesus is. So there's a lot of different ways. It seems this time period seems to enliven a lot of responses to the, with the children through their work, their art. Mm
0: -hmm. I also find that children have a lot of response with song as well. I, they love those traditional songs that we all sing away in the manger, silent night, those songs. But I've also had children just come up with their own songs in response to something that we've encountered a song in response to one of the infancy narratives or a prophecy. I, I know that my children, they really love the one song that has to do with the prophecy. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They love that song. They sing it all the time. I think that's another common response that we see in children is that they just want to sing about what they have encountered.
1: Yes. Yes. I've had the same thing, especially with that song or um, Mm -hmm. Christ is light in him. There is no darkness come to him Mm -hmm. and he will give you light, you know, any of Mm -hmm. all the songs really that can really bring a lot of joy, doesn't it? Over Mm -hmm. time with the children Mm -hmm. and a way to continue to live these proclamations and these announcements and again be another way of prolonged listening to the scripture, the word of
0: God. Mm -hmm. Well, this mystery of the incarnation, you know, I, I knew already that this was a very huge topic, but after this conversation, I really feel like I have a lot more to ponder and a lot more that I think I would like to sit with as we are getting closer to Jesus's birth and to this Christmas season You have given me a lot to think about. And I really appreciate that, Karen. And I really appreciate all the work that you do for Catechesis of the Good Shepherd.
1: Thank you so much, Carrie. I've enjoyed having the chance to talk with you about it. It has enlivened it for me as well. And I hope that it brings all of us a chance to have an added sense of joy and the light and the hope that we receive through Jesus because of God's great love for us in the midst of a time that feels dark. But that we can see mm-hmm. his light and love for us.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For further reading and contemplation on the mystery of the incarnation, you could read chapter one of ways to nurture the relationship with God. You can find a link for that book in the show notes if you do not already own it. Our annual appeal for 2020 is still going strong, so we invite you to prayerfully consider financially supporting the work and mission of the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We want to thank all the contributing members of the association because you are making this podcast possible. If you want to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd or to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. On behalf of the staff and the board of CGS USA, we would like to say Merry Christmas and may God bless you richly during this season and may you feel the warmth of His love for you through this new year. Thank you for joining us this week. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.